How did helping a client set up an on-site pharmacy lead one advisor to creating a proprietary physician network? And what can you learn from his experience? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers Podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and Chief Transformation Strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers Podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. How can you be the first to know about each week's podcast and get on the list for special listener only content? It's simple. Go to shiftshapersonline.com and click the subscribe button. At the recent Ascend conference in Nashville, Tennessee, I caught up with Russ Blakely. Russ is the president of Russ Blakely and Associates. He's based out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And in the course of our conversation, it became apparent to me that Russ is doing a lot of the right things the right way. And we haven't spoken about best practices in a while. And I thought Russ was a great example of some stuff that that he's doing that all of you might want to learn from and to listen to. So with that, welcome to the podcast, Russ. Thank you. Glad to be here, David. I appreciate you spending some time with us and sharing your expertise. I think probably as we conversed, one of the hallmarks of your shop is, and you told me this straight out, is that you guys take ownership of client problems and that oftentimes that leads to saving money. You talk a little bit about that and about what makes that special. Sure. Our mantra has been for quite some time now that we want to own what are generally your biggest issues as it relates to your benefits program. Number one, you're spending more and more money each year on it. Number two, your employees don't really understand why you keep cutting benefits and asking them to pay more. And then three, health care reform, the Affordable Care Act has caused you and your company and your employees to spend more time dealing with compliance and those issues. So what we've done is we've just set up programs and put them in place so employers will spend less time. For example, we hired and have on staff now an in-house compliance attorney so that he is uh, our main point of contact. And lately, David, it's all been related to ACA forms, the 1094s and the questions there and uh, being the go-between between the employer and maybe their payroll company. And now these new questions keep popping up where they're not sure what goes in box 14, for example. So Steve has really been able to help our employers in, in that area. That's um, a lot of it where his time has been spent, especially the last 30 days. It seems to be the subject that's been on everybody's mind since late last fall. I know there are a couple of instances where this has actually saved clients significant amounts of money. Can you talk to us about that? Yes, sure. Where we save employers money there is, for example, not having to go outside and get that expertise or buy a 
program for that company that maybe doesn't work. We've done it there. The other one is we just always look for a better way for an employer to tackle rising healthcare costs. And one of the ways that you did that, and, and it's a very interesting concept, as we again spoke when we were in Nashville, I mentioned that we had done some of this years ago at, at a TPA, is that you guys built a network within a network and you kind of did it from the ground up. That's fascinating. How'd that happen? Actually, my partner, Brent, uh, wrote the RFP for a, a local public sector client. So we started interviewing the, I guess you would call them the traditional national companies that develop and put on-site clinics in place for large employers. And through this relationship or working through this, the winner of that RFP was actually a local physicians group who had set up one on-site clinic. And his some of the things that he said just really struck with us. And number one was, well, when you think of a physician's practice, it actually is a clinic. It's just all the patients come here on site, but we run on-site clinics every day. And the opportunity to really save money with an on-site clinic is the care that happens outside the clinic the expensive care so that an individual who may be experiencing, you know, some heart problems or may need knee surgery or hip replacement, then by having a physician that's here in the community, having that individual be the one who coordinates and refers that individual from the clinic out into the community, we just saw that as, wow, that makes a lot more sense than bringing an on-site clinic in from out of town and putting someone in there to run the clinic who really doesn't know and understand the community as far as healthcare providers go. Right. And, you know, we all understand that a lot of those external elective surgeries, if you prefer, um, drive costs. But one of the big cost drivers, and I know something that you guys worked on, is pharmacy. How did the pharmacy component fit into that? What do you guys do? Actually, at one of the groups, they had the desire because of talking to another organization was, we're going to do an on-site clinic, but we want to begin with an on-site pharmacy because in talking with our friends across town, they told us that the on-site pharmacy was much more utilized and a much bigger hit with their employees than the clinic was. And it was because the average person was taking two scripts a day. So that's 24 scripts a year that's getting refilled. So the opportunity to use an on-site pharmacy is much greater than the on-site clinic. And then the other surprising thing that we learned through this was the key to making that on-site pharmacy work was how good was the pharmacist that was running the pharmacy. And we were fortunate in that we hit a home run and that individual, six years later, is still the pharmacist at the on-site pharmacy. So she's developed a really good, close relationship with employees. So very valuable on-site resource as far as coaching, which medications may be calling back the doctor and saying, well, you prescribe this one. It's not on the formulary. Is there another option that we could help our patient with? 
So you kind of started inside out because most on-site clinics, in my experience, start with the medical and then add, if they do it all, add a pharma component. You guys thought it was important to add the pharma component up front and then fill the medical in. What size group was this, just in general numbers, Russ? Because I know a lot of times when advisors think about on-site clinics, they think they're only really viable for huge groups. An on-site clinic needs 500 people or 500 employees under one roof really makes it work. The on-site pharmacy, a thousand members filling scripts is what makes an on-site pharmacy work. And if you get a thousand members filling scripts, you can break even by the end of the first year. And that, that was what this one group, there are 2,500 employees, but they had seen enough information to understand that by the end of the first year, paying for the pharmacy, paying for the pharmacist to build out and all of that, the on-site pharmacy could be break even by the end of the first year. And from that point going forward, begin to save both the company and the employees money. So do you have stats on the, the pharmacy and the medical side separately in terms of how it over the long term impact medical and pharma spend? Yes. The pharmacy first is because the on-site pharmacy eliminates the middleman. So there's no PBM, there's no drugstore. So the individuals who run the on-site pharmacy are buying drugs directly from the wholesaler. And then those drugs are ordered, sent to the pharmacy. The pharmacist is dispensing them directly to employees. So Two points of cost that are there are eliminated because you don't have those two middlemen. And then the other savings there from the pharmacy is the ability to do mail order because the, the on-site pharmacy does offer mail order. And then the ability to work directly with the physician to find the lowest cost medication that would be appropriate for a patient. And then the last thing there is we're at about 80% of scripts are being filled at the on-site pharmacy. So what did that do to the spend over time? We've been able to keep the spend under 10%. First two years, it was flat. The challenge the last 24 months has been the surge in high-cost specialty medications, and in particular, the new drugs that are treating hepatitis C. So seems like we've had a barrage of that lately. So that's the big increase in spin is the hep C drugs. But still more economical because you don't have those two price bottlenecks in, in the mix, right? Yes. And what about on the medical side? What, what kind of changes have you seen financially on the med side? The first two years of having the clinic, we did not have an increase in medical spend. None, zero. And again, this was a combination of, we, we did make a couple of minor plan design changes, but the real key was and, and continues to be that um, using a program to find through our data analytics tool, the clinic is finding the highest risk employees and making outbound calls to those employees and their family members. And because it's coming from the clinic, the response rate of individuals taking the telephone call, 
listening to what the clinic has to say because they know it's someone from their own clinic. It is a physician who they may have seen. They're much more likely take the calls and to respond to that. It's, it's a much higher touch rate than a traditional disease management outreach call from an insurance company would be. And is there an ongoing follow-up program telephonically or in person or video or any mode of ongoing follow-up? Yes, both. The clinic has, uh, again, they took some of their best nurses that were in their physician offices. Those are the nurses who do the data mining and they make the outbound calls and follow those patients. And when they feel like we really need to get that patient back into our clinic, then again, they're, they're proactive. They're calling the patients and saying, look, probably would be a good idea if you came in and met with the doctor and maybe discuss some of your issues and see if there are some areas that we might be able to help you with. And now, a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. I know in, from our conversation in the data mining, they look for two different classes of folks. The low-hanging fruit, I guess, are people who already have chronic conditions, you know, because the clinics treated them or you can cross-mine the pharmacy data. And then also at-risk employees. How do you find at-risk employees? That would be kind of my first question. And then in both cases, what are the conditions that you're finding most prevalent within the given population? Define the at-risk employees first, the ones who are going to be tomorrow's high-dollar claimants. Part of that is in the data analytics tool that we use. And the other part is just looking for gaps in care. An example would be a newly diagnosed person with diabetes, for example. So using that information, seeing a diagnosis of diabetes, a first diagnosis, but no scripts filled, that is a red flag. Same thing with high blood pressure. Diagnosis, no scripts filled for the next 60 to 90 days is a red flag because we know the person has been diagnosed, probably have gotten a prescription, but for whatever reason, they have not filled it yet. And so your system includes an algorithm that just watches for these folks and pops the flags to the medical professionals? Yes. We, what we're doing is we're getting fees from the on-site clinic, the on-site pharmacy, the PBM for the health plan, and also claims from the health plan. So all of those go into our database and also vision claims. All of those go in. And um, the clinicians have been trained to look 
for gaps in care to make those calls. Now, is this tagged onto a self-insured plan or a fully insured plan? Yes, it's self-insured because the, the types of data that we're getting, I can't imagine in a fully insured environment that the health plan would release all of that type of data that is down to the member level. So it has to be self-funded. Yeah, the fully insured plans have seem to have data problems kind of both ways. It's both getting information from the clinic to the disease management folks and those folks at a carrier and also the information coming in. So when you spot chronic conditions, what are you seeing most often? What are the top couple of conditions that you see all the time? Tops on the list, heart problems, followed closely by asthma. We're an area where in Chattanooga, asthma continues to be um, pretty high on the list of individuals with asthma or family members. And then third, w- wouldn't be a chronic condition, but uh, individuals struggling with cancer. Because w- when you have cancer, I wouldn't call it a disease management state. Um, you have multiple visits to multiple different practitioners, all kinds of tests. So it's easy for an individual to kind of get lost in that system as they're being referred from one specialist to another one. So by having that individual come into the clinic and sit down with the physician or a physician's assistant and kind of go through, map out a game plan and for everyone to really kind of understand their treatment that has been comforting because the clinic really is being the quarterback for that individual that's seeing multiple providers. Sure. Is there a behavioral health component as well? Good question. We haven't gone there yet, but you know, when you have a condition like that, there are a lot of other things going on. But for example, even something as simple as the EAP, we're not taking nearly good enough advantage of that of referring them to, you know, the EAP that's in, that's in place there. So you see that as an opportunity for growth going forward? Yes. One of the things that you did, and we've only got about five minutes left, but I definitely wanted to touch on this, was we talked a little bit about you creating a network within a network. Tell me what that means. This actually happened right after the clinic was up and running. Is The physician who won the RFP approached me and my partner and said, you know, I think we can kind of take this concept in the community where we build a network of primary care doctors and specialists, and we go present that network to employers. We stack it on top of the insurance company's network, like a high-performing network, and we offer that to self-insured employers. So I was fortunate enough to know another large internal medicine group in town. So we got the two together and started talking, and almost overnight, the two of them started reaching out to specialists who they referred their patients to and had a really high degree of confidence in. And very quickly, within 90 days, built a network of primary care, internal medicine, pediatricians, OBGYNs, orthopedic, cardiac, all those areas, they were able to find specialists. And again, the probably the most important part both of these internal medicine groups participate in Medicare Advantage plans. So they understand risk. They understand by managing an employee's health, there's the ability to increase compensation 
because they earn it by being responsible for their patient's health. And they also, through trial and error, learn when they refer a patient out, who are the best of the best in as it relates to specialty. When they, when they refer someone out of their office to a specialist, which of those specialists are doing the best jobs for their patients? Russ, in the, in the minute or so that we've got left, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you talk about all these great things that you've put together, and it, it sounds like a terrific program for the client. If an advisor's listening and thinking, boy, this might be a solution for my client, but it seems like an awful lot of work, what's your advice for them? How would you suggest they approach trying to craft a solution like this? Find one or two good primary care physician groups, preferably internal medicine, See how many Medicare Advantage plans that they participate in or HMOs, some type of managed care with the opportunity to earn a incentive payment and start the conversation there because they will know who are the specialists with the best outcomes because they're experiencing that with payment models that they may be in with Medicare or Medicare Advantage plans or HMOs and begin the conversation there. Go find your self-funded employers and talk about how to help them save money by building a tight network of high-performing primary care and specialists so that their employees get really good care, high-quality care, lower-cost care in most instances, and both the company and the employees save money. And more importantly, their patients get care from the best of the best physicians in the community. Great advice. Russ, thanks for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. Russ Blakely, president of Russ Blakely and Associates based out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Thanks again, Russ. Thank you, David. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of the Saltzman Group. We work with entrepreneurs, executives, and companies just like you to help shape the shifts in your business. To schedule a 20-minute call to learn more, visit our website at thesaltzmangroup.com or call me directly at 803-386-8005. I'd love to hear from you. And while you're on our site, you can also click the podcast tab for the entire catalog of Shift Shapers episodes and to access some really great special offers. Give me a call at 803-386-8005 and learn how to put the secrets of the Shift Shapers to work in your business. 